Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and I'm a hedge fund manager for management. I'm Dan Krawczyk. I'm a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And together we explore mental models. That is how we view the world and what the world gives us for feedback. It's not a brain in a jar. That's the gist. If you've been enjoying Mental Models, this podcast, and the types of biases and thought strategies we employ and advocate for here, um, please make sure to uh, to acquire our book, Understanding Behavioral Bias. And bias has an, a uh, dollar sign for the S. It's available on Amazon, and it's pu- published by Business Expert Press. And you could really do us a favor by uh, leaving a review if you like that book and uh, choose to buy it. Welcome back to the Mental Models Podcast. Today, we're going to talk a little about chunking in our information intake and our memory systems. Now, chunking goes back to the uh, middle of the 20th century uh, when researchers are trying to understand our memory systems. Um, over the years, we have moved from short-term memory to working memory with the acknowledgement that when you take in say a new phone number or uh, sort of a random set of digits, you have a limit on how many you can conceivably maintain. And that limit has to do with um, segregation into a a memory system that's dedicated to um, that sort of uh, initial first pass uh, assessment of any information. And, you know, it's just a very basic research finding. So we'll talk a little about some of the science of chunking, and then we'll talk about how it impacts our uh, everyday lives through how we look at investments, how marketing works, and how uh, we can be better performers by being aware of our information intake limits and um, in- incorporate processes that maybe help us to um to take a rigorous look at things and not fall victim to biases that come about based on simple limits of um, our information. Yeah, it, largely this deals with situations where we're trying to uh, make an analysis of a particular circumstance and we have to take certain shortcuts in our analysis because we can't think of every single element uh, in isolation and then put it all together uh, into you know one macro. Typically, we're going to have to put things together uh, in chunks or in groups of information that we've already met, drawn conclusions about, we have an understanding about. A good example of this would be something like SaaS, right? So when I, when I say SaaS, software as a service, there's a lot of connotations associated with that. And a lot of things that uh, if you understand what those businesses are like, you, you can make certain assumptions. When I tell you something is a SaaS company, typically you're going to think that it's associated with software. That software is sold on a subscription basis. Typically it has a very high gross margin uh, and that there is uh, a lot of growth associated with that particular issue. And this is one of those cases where a lot of these associations will just jump to mind at the mere mention of of a SaaS company for us. One of the challenges we face, anytime there's complex information, a perfectly rational individual should really deconstruct it and consider it and ponder each aspect of it and really uh, vet it carefully. That, of course, takes time and effort, and it's just not the way our minds work. We uh, are hungry for quick associations that get us to the meaning and the point and the gist a lot faster. And so we we can be uh, influenced very much by how we have previously chunked information. I wanted to go back to some of the basic science on chunking and working memory. So if you 
you go in for a neuropsychological exam, you often have what's known as the digit span test, where I just throw out um, seven or eight digits and you have to just repeat them back. Um, that's actually very hard to do when you get into eight or nine digits, unless you've used some pre-existing strategy to make meaning of the numbers, uh, you will become overwhelmed and they overwrite one another and get confused in your mind. And uh, there's a some old research, uh, classic research by George Miller suggested we have the capacity for seven plus or minus two items. So somewhere in the range of five to nine things, uh, whether they be numbers, letters, or concepts, that seems to be about the human limit. Decades of research have moved that actually to a more conservative estimate of about three to five um, units of information can be maintained at a given time. And that's just a hard limit on how our brains process information. Um, that, of course, can be overcome, and the way to do it is chunking. Um, er Anders Ericsson from Florida State University uh, is rather well known as an expertise researcher, and you may know of the 10,000-hour rule. Um, a lot of his work uh, influenced that notion of, of you know, a decade's worth of study makes you an expert. And one of his uh, famous studies was in digit span. He basically trained a naive, uh, you know, sort of undergraduate novice subject by, uh, you know, kind of bringing that individual into a lab repeatedly to just practice digit span. And he got from about six digits up to 80 digits over the course of about eight months, which is incredible. Um, and he didn't do it by expanding his brain in any particular way. He just did it by chunking the numbers very fluidly and effectively. So over time, he, he would just intake, say, 389 as 3.89, you know, some very fast sprint. And he would just kind of line those up in these individual chunks, building a structure. And that was really how you can expand your um your information intake in that way. So if, you, if you're going with structured information now, you're in a whole different ball game. And if, if someone just merely mentions something that plugs that structure in, uh, you, you have all these associations at the ready, like our, our SaaS company. Yeah, so you can cover a lot more ground uh, with a lot less description because it's already preset to some degree. And, that, and SaaS is just one example uh, you can think of a number of others. Uh, for some e-commerce, that means certain things. Uh, when I tell you that something is a consumer good company, that ha that means certain things. And these associations are important because often they can affect, uh, at least in the finance world, the multiple that somebody's willing to pay for a particular type of business. If it has certain characteristics, then it it garnishes a higher multiple. It's worth the the stream of earnings uh, that that business produces because of its characteristics, uh, either, you know, it, it could be a higher or a lower multiple. And the reason why I typically focus on a higher multiple is because managements will want to paint their businesses in a light uh, that justifies a higher multiple, that justifies you paying more for a given stream of earnings uh, than you otherwise would uh, if, uh, if it had other characteristics that were not consistent with some given chunk or some given uh, association. Yeah, this is what people talk about when they describe the optics of a situation. And this can be in business, it can be in politics, it can be just be in life. If certain boxes seem to be checked outwardly, you kind of assume that the depth of that, let's say that it's a company, if it looks as if they have done their diligence and are linked into an industry that's favorable, um, you'll tend to gloss over the details there and not really question it. The challenge there is that we are, um, 
so you're sort of susceptible to illusions in those cases. If someone is deliberately misleading, or even just, as you put it, sort of painting something in a certain light, um, they can kind of uh, play into our, our pre-existing chunked information by mentioning certain um, keywords. We we kind of take for granted uh, they've got that covered. I, I can see that they're in this industry. They've probably they can sort of fit to the positive associations that they're trying to um, implant into your mind. Exactly, and it's it's interesting. It's kind of a, almost a philosophical uh, exercise. Uh, I'm reminded of Wittgenstein and and you know the just language how you characterize something. You know what is a chair, right? Uh, you know if I have a a dollhouse chair, is that a chair? Uh, you know, it, it has four legs, uh, but you couldn't actually sit in it. Well, if that's if you know you're using utility as some description as to what a chair is, maybe a rock could be a chair, right? And this is a little bit far fetched, but the point is, is that so if we're if we have a company that is touting itself as being a SaaS company, right? That it has recurring software-based revenues that are subject to a subscription. Uh, there are also certain assumptions of what a good SaaS business looks like in terms of its gross margin profile. Usually it's like you know 60 to 70 or 80 percent gross margins. That's customer acquisition costs. There's all sorts of different elements that you can break down when analyzing that business. Uh, and you can often find a situation where maybe you're looking at a promotional uh, approach when those elements are not consistent with a SaaS business. Right, you're looking at something, a, a business that is being touted as being SaaS, but the gross margins are 15%, right? Or uh, the if you actually break down the customer acquisitions costs, uh, that they they way exceed any sort of benefit for the stream of revenue that you'd be able to to get through the subscription. Right. So that might be analogous to our digit span example, where you really go back and sort of. Uh, Consider the the arbitrary facts on the ground. Do they do they do they warrant the kind of chunking that uh, you've done initially? So in some ways, it's a call for deeper analysis. When you you think you don't want to take for granted certain things, your your initial assumptions assumptions shouldn't lead you um, too much. And you get into the point of what's the the what is a chair? Experience drives so much of this. So if you're um, very familiar with a certain industry, you might uh, be able to suss a lot of the details out quicker. It's where you're not as familiar with the industry that you're, st- you, you're at risk of not being able to ask the right questions and look at the right indicators that get you a little beyond the surface chunking. One thing that you'll often see promoters try to do is they'll say, hey, look at this comp set. So they'll go and take their particular metrics uh, and they'll put them up against something that is clearly within the set, right? Uh, so we were looking at a company recently that is supposedly transforming itself into being a discount retailer from a non-discount retailer. And so they would put themselves up against TJ Maxx and Ross Stores and Burlington Coat Factory. These are, you know, some of the most successful retailers that are that are out there. Uh, but they would they would decline to put themselves up against other less successful discount retailers like Tuesday Morning. But the point is, is that they're trying to draw an association for you to say, hey, this particular set of metrics that we have are very similar to this other group, and therefore we should have similar multiples. 
Right. It's a branding strategy in a way. You just sort of set it up in a, in a pre-existing packaged uh, framework where you're kind of uh, able to gloss over some of those deeper analytical strategies people should be applying, but they won't in those cases. So this has a lot of implications for for strategic thinking as well. So when, when we talked about um, artificial intelligence uh, with Mike Hughes in a previous episode. We got into some of this um, expertise talk about uh, machines versus humans. And one of the examples I'm reminded of is AlphaGo, um, which is owned by Google, had had produced this Go-playing um, AI, which then faced Lee Seedahl, who was a human champion who recently retired. And uh, AlphaGo was victorious against Seedahl. And part of uh, being good at a game like Go is you have to chunk tremendously. You, you've seen a lot of patterns before, and that's how someone is able to seemingly do the impossible is they just have a preset amount of associations to deal with. And when, when a human faces a machine, they can get trapped easily because they start to see, oh, that's a strategy that this, this algorithm is playing. I, I know of other people that play this. I, I can see what's going to happen. But where machines have an advantage is they are capable of much a much bigger set of, say, working memory capabilities. And so uh, they don't often take the human shortcut. And so the, the human can actually be tricked in a way because they think the machine is going a certain direction. It switches out and, and turns out to defeat them. And th- I think this happened with Gary Kasparov when he faced Deep Blue, IBM's uh, chess playing computer. As, uh, he, he, was chunking, he was chunking too much and reading strategy into what the machine was doing when it wasn't actually doing that. Yeah, it's fascinating. And so when we look at different companies or industries uh, or issues, we have to chunk. We have to go and make certain associations uh, just so that we can be efficient in our analysis. But at the same point... Not become paralyzed. If if you see something that maybe seems somewhat inconsistent with a particular chunk that you're adopting or a particular pattern that you're adopting and analyzing an, an issue... It's probably worthwhile to dig a little deeper and say, okay, well, this this particular issue is trying to sell itself as being a certain type of company. Um, Does it really share the characteristics with companies of of a similar fashion? You can't necessarily do this every time because, uh, you know, it it can be very time-consuming to question every single group of associations that you're making when doing an analysis. It could be a lot a lot more specific uh, than something as broad as, uh, you know, whether it's a SaaS business or not. It could be uh, something more granular in your analysis where you're looking at something and making some broad assumptions with respect to certain accounting or something of that nature. Uh, so to break down everything uh, where you eliminate all chunks and you disaggregate it, it's probably not a practical uh, means to go forward. But when you see something that could be an inconsistency, or perhaps you see something where you're questioning the veracity of the presenter of a particular idea, then it may make a lot of sense to break those chunks down. And I, I'm thinking of uh, some tips that we could offer by way of how to cope with chunking and cope with information load. That's really what this comes down to. We're not going to be able to grow our information intake capacity, but we can certainly be more strategic. One relevant factor here is one circle of competence. So if you're straying too far outside of your expertise realm, you, you're you open to a variety of probable shortcomings. You, you're going to essentially have to take others word for things and maybe consume chunks in the way they were prepackaged, which has the danger of starting to blend into 
the narrative someone wants you to see in the most viewing it in the most favorable light. Um, and so probably having enough information to, to know where to go with an industry is, is going to be critical. Uh, just as a, a thing to keep in mind, you're probably more open to problems in those areas where you're more naive. It's really kind of fascinating when you think about it, though. Uh, this is a challenge, but it is also an opportunity, particularly if you're able to go short. So if there's a particular narrative that's being pitched uh, that uh, you say you do have the adequate expertise to understand uh, the context of the of the business relative to what's being pitched, and you see that there is there is the possibility or the likelihood that management is misleading certain investors uh, to participate. That could be an opportunity for a mispricing in the market. So this can be something that can help you generate uh, returns as well, where you see something where management is clearly leading people astray. If you can identify at what point in time they will likely be no longer fall for basically mischaracterization that's being made, then that could be a catalyst for you to realize profit on the short side. Right, that could be an opportunity. And another uh, topic we've brought up in the past is decision fatigue, this idea that uh, if you make a lot of decisions, do a lot of hard work, eventually you start to mentally check out and uh, you'll, you'll have a reduced working memory capacity under those conditions. You're just not mentally as sharp. So when you're dealing with a potentially complex set of information, um, there's more risk of falling victim to chunking maybe when you're at that later point in the day when you've made a lot of decisions and you're, you're just not able to rigorously think through things as much. If you're at all suspicious about the fundamentals of, of a company, maybe preload that earlier in your workday and, and set aside some time to really analyze um, some of the assumptions you've made uh, so that you don't fall victim to chunking. And then lastly, I think having a devil's advocate is always a good idea just as a secondary uh, viewpoint, someone else to um, help you to check your assumptions would be smart here, especially if you're if you're wandering into the uh, sort of murkiness of, of a less well-understood idea, um, getting that second person can, can really help to break up some of those chunks, right? And get, get some other uh, inputs that uh, allow you to see beyond just your own, your own viewpoint. Well, and it may not be a bad idea to sit down with uh, a particular issue that you're looking at and identifying each circumstance in which you may be applying a chunk. Right, you may say, okay, well, I'm making certain assumptions about this business because I, I believe it to be of this character. Uh, and then you write that down. And then you, so you identify where you may have some gaps in uh, your analysis because you're making certain assumptions based off of similar characteristics that you've seen before in the past and you're, you're associating those with that business. Uh, and just by doing that, you, it may, stimulate some thought as to where you may be wrong in your analysis or it may be off. That's right. And, and these are often subjective in nature. So just having another person's uh, inputs will be the best remedy in a way for that, that kind of thinking. Yeah. Sometimes it's really good to pull someone in to get a fresh view uh, that isn't suffering from basically being in the midst of the problem that you're already in. All right, so I think we've chunked this episode uh, and we shouldn't uh, spill it into other associations. So let's go ahead and wrap it up here. That sounds good. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for spending your time listening to the Mental Models podcast. Content matters because your brain does not exist in a jar. Please subscribe. 
Visit mentalmodelspodcast.com for updates on Dana George's upcoming book release titled Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision Making. Also available on mentalmodelspodcast.com are show notes, book reviews, and upcoming behavioral finance seminars with Dan and George. The Mental Models Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Twitter. Please subscribe, and thank you for listening.